So every year, we hear basically these same texts. Right? Every year we come to church and we hear about Jesus coming from the dead, the empty tomb, and you know what happens when you start to hear something over and over and over again. It sort of starts to drift into the ether, and then your mind starts to wander. And I will tell you, it is no different for me who has to make my living out of constantly looking at texts that sometimes you're like, oh, didn't, this, didn't we just do this text last year? So sometimes what happens is, is every year, your mind starts to wander and you look at different things in the text. And you'll forgive me for saying something that might initially sound a little sacrilege, which is, you know, a great way to start a sermon on an Easter Sunday, right? That this year, if I'm completely honest with you, Jesus didn't seem to grip me as much as every other year I've looked at this text. Jesus is great, don't get me wrong. Again, it's sort of what I make my living is to invite you to remember. Jesus is great. But this year, I just wasn't captivated by the story. Instead, I found myself captivated by everyone else around him in this story. As we get to Holy Week, we start to recognize that other people take the stage in this narrative. It was really interesting because on Good Friday, we sang the Passion narrative, and a couple folks said it kind of slows down the text, and you have to read things and hear things that you haven't heard before. And so I heard Pilate's voice in a, t in a way that I had never heard Pilate's voice before. I heard the chief priests and the crowds differently this year. Jesus is still going to do the same thing, I know, but because so often I'm focused on Jesus, I forget that there is a whole bunch of other folks. And when you read these texts, you realize Jesus says less and less and less as people gather around him. By the time we get here, friends, there are only a couple characters left. The first one is Simon Peter, we hear about. And Simon Peter has had a week. Not one I would have wanted to have. He starts out, you know, he's been told for all the time he's been with Jesus that he's going to be the one to start what's coming afterwards. And you know what happened last week? Jesus comes in on a foal, on a donkey. Some way to demonstrate your earthly power, Jesus. And then we get to Monday, Thursday, and Jesus is saying things like, I'm going to wash your feet, and Peter has a real problem with it. Kind of wants to control it. He wants to uh, say to Jesus, well, you're not going to wash my feet. And then he says, well, you know what I want you to do? I want you to wash my head and my feet, or... He just doesn't seem comfortable with it. And then, on Good Friday, he denied Jesus three times just as he was told he would. Tough, tough week for the guy who's going to be the rock. Stubborn and bullheaded Peter, so much that he is throughout the Gospels, Having him as a companion this week, though, I couldn't help but feel for him. 
The denials that he did on Friday, I don't think were necessarily shameful, as I think I've been raised to believe that they are. Like, he should feel bad that he denied Jesus three times. They're the rebuffs of someone who is watching their world collapse, and they're afraid. And you kind of start to wonder, what would have been going on in Simon Peter's head if I were in his shoes during Saturday and Sunday? Are the words still ringing in his ear from the table? That Jesus was not going to be with them very longer, going to a place that they as the disciples who have been with him for three years cannot go? How did he not know, as one of the leaders of the Mary Band of Disciples, how did he not know about what Judas was going to do? It's got to be some combination of shock and guilt and maybe a little pain and maybe a little shame. Who knows? And then, of course, we've got the four women that are mentioned on Good Friday that are at the cross. Jesus' mother, her sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, who, as far as we can tell, this is the only time this guy Clopas is mentioned. We think that it may have been a sister-in-law to Mary and Mary Magdalene. And as Holy Week progresses, we see that they still love and care for Jesus then, just as they did that week. And honestly, the women there at the cross loved Jesus from the time that he came onto this earth. As mothers and aunts and companions. And Jesus loved them too. One of the final words that Jesus says as he's dying is to ensure that his mother is cared for. And they too, imagine, I imagine, come to today in grief for what they had lost so tragically and so violently. And friends, maybe that's us today. Maybe we're a little like Peter or one of the women. We carry a lot of things with us to this day today. And we are looking for a spark. You know, Easter Sunday, man, it's exciting. We got horns. We don't have horns every Sunday. Not that I don't love them. Big sweeping anthems. Amazing passages that you've known for years. This is the premier Sunday of premier Sundays, is it not? Everything comes to today. And I mean, look around you. These gorgeous colors. We changed the colors for today. Look at these lilies. Fantastic job, Greg, and everybody who helped. But it is beautiful here today. And it's beautiful here every Sunday. But today, it's right up there at the top. Today of all days, with the best part of the past and all the beauty around us, we want to be relieved and find some respite in the, res in the resurrection. This story gives us a safe place. And when we come, we want to hear that again. But I will tell you, if we look at this text seriously, it is not made easy for us. What do we do with the beginning of this passage in John? Jesus just isn't there. How defeating must that have felt, given everything that folks like Simon Peter and the women who had cared for Jesus must have felt 
when they approached the empty tomb, given what they had gone through, given this week. You hear in Mary Magdalene when, he, when she talks to Jesus, did, did you, the gardener, like move him someplace? I'll take him back. You know, you, when you're kind of in a difficult situation, your mind tends to wander. Well, did he get stolen? Were, were robbers here? What could have happened? And I think it's so easy to skip over this, to get to the resurrection, to get hyped about Jesus did raise from the dead, especially if we haven't had a chance to walk through the other part of the story. If we go from celebration to celebration, from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, we almost start to think that the Jesus we're seeking is only there in triumphant moments. As if somehow the journey we take with Jesus was not a place to come burdened, broken, and unsure. We all dress maybe a little bit more nicely on this Easter Sunday, don't we? I mean, I love my bow ties, but I don't wear them every Sunday anymore. I did today. There's a lot more jackets on you gentlemen than there usually are. We almost approach this Sunday as if the only way that we can be here is we're at our very best because this is super Jesus coming back from the dead and defeating everything. Because of that, even more so, it might be a place that in the midst of everything else, we might not even see Jesus at all. If we feel like this is a place where we cannot be burdened and broken and unsure, when we feel that in our hearts and we look for Jesus amidst all the beauty and grandeur and we can't find him, is there something wrong with ourselves? Perhaps Jesus doesn't want us to be here at all. So why do we show up any other time? Listen, I get it. But friends, here's, here's the gift of this text. That's not the end of the story. The gospel doesn't end with this sort of like, oh, whatever are we going to do? All four gospels tell this story a little differently, but one thing is absolutely true in every single one of them. The characters in this story finally remember. Simon Peter, in the midst of so often throughout all the stories we hear in the gospels, seems to be the last one to get just about anything. And John's telling, looks in the tomb, sees what's going on, and gets it, and believes again that everything that Jesus said actually happened. And in the rest of the Gospels, we have a similar moment with each of these stories, but perhaps with different characters and different themes. With Mark, it's a group of women with a young man that could be thought of as an angel. It doesn't say it explicitly He's wearing white robes and everything, sort of our perception of what an angel would be. In Matthew, it's Mary Magdalene, and then all of a sudden there's an earthquake, and then an angel descends from heaven. And in Luke, it's women, that's all we get, and two men in robes. But there's always a sense in every single one of them that this conversation was a bold reminder that Jesus did what he said he would.
in all situations. However, it was only after they had witnessed an empty tomb. And then, of course, the story continues with its brilliance and its brightness. And sometimes I wonder if the song, Mary, Did You Know, would have actually been far more applicable as a title on Easter Sunday than on Christmas. Because Mary, the mother of of Jesus, knew what was going on. The scripture makes that pretty clear. But I wonder if the Marys in this story today knew what was going to happen in the days and weeks and months and years and centuries and millennia later. At that moment when suddenly it was despairing to suddenly remembering what was going to happen, did they think to themselves that you would be here today? Because that moment when despair turned to promise changed the entire world. And you're here with your families and I'm up here too. Because of that single moment. And it's funny to me that all of this really came together in this text and really every single other celebration of the resurrection text that we get on this Easter Sunday because of two things. Because of walking through the motions. Even in the midst of grief, Simon Peter goes to the tomb. Even in the midst of grief, the women go to the tomb. And then finally remembering what Jesus said. Now, I'll be honest with y'all. It's funny because as I thought about this sermon this week and I put it together and I got it down on paper, this is a not so big secret, is I tend to think about it during the week and then I get in here about 5.30 in the morning and I start to put together the outline. And I was sitting up there in my, my new office, up there in the balcony. And when I wrapped it up, I said, this is not an Easter sermon. And I thought, oh my gosh, there are going to be people that are going to be here and they have never met me. Because I think it's, not, uh, it's a not-so-hidden secret that we might carry on both sides of this pulpit. Which is that there need to be fireworks on this Sunday, right? We pull out all the stops for this Sunday. The Worship and Music Committee has been planning for Easter Sunday for like three months. We want you to be impressed with what happens here today. And I think you want a grand slam from the guy who's going to arrest your attention for 15 to 20 minutes on a Sunday morning when you know you got other things and it starts to get itchy and sweaty in here, and I get it. I want that too. I want to be able to swing a home run on Easter Sunday, and you all are so impressed that your lives are changed, and this is like your forever home. So let's just be honest with each other, right? That that's kind of what, what I think we both want. And the way that we do that is we get to hear all about Jesus, the triumphant one. And that's not false at all. It is very true. Jesus does overcome death, completely changes the way that the universe works for us. But it doesn't really tell the whole story, does it? Because what does that do for you after today? 
after the glorious pomp and circumstance of another fantastic Easter, and you got to go back and do life again. You know, the hope is you're going to come back and you're going to be here and it's going to be great. But the question I always struggle with, dear friends, is if this is just an all good and powerful show that I make you feel really good and really triumphant for a day, what happens when you experience a Good Friday moment in your life and all you've ever heard is palms and power and resurrection? When you've gone looking for Jesus on occasion, on a Tuesday afternoon when you got some bad news, and you looked for him and he wasn't there. You didn't get a chance to see everyone else. You didn't get a chance to see Simon Peter. You didn't get a chance to see all the Marys, because there's like 50 of them, who have suddenly now become front and center in this story. And just as important as the resurrection itself, this moment of fireworks, this crazy ridiculous thing that even as somebody who does this for my life, I still struggle to believe that it could be true because it is so different than everything else that happens in this world. And I hold on to it faithfully because I really believe it is true. Just as important as the singular moment, so is the fulfillment of the promises that Jesus has made from the beginning. From mom, do I really have to turn this water into wine at this wedding party? The very first miracle, all the way down to it is finished. It's a validation of ministry. It's a validation of promise. It is a validation of God's promises to us and God's presence with us. That everything leading up to this moment, everything that happened in the ministry with the disciples, everything that happened during Holy Week, the frustrations, the difficulties, the anguish, well, it was valuable because Jesus came through. Even when it seemed its darkest, right before they remembered and it was revealed that the resurrection had occurred. Friends, it means the same thing is true for us, no matter where we are in our lives. That this is not the only place for respite. That this day, this moment, the, the couple, you know, if you're coming even every Sunday, or maybe this is one of the only couple times you get a chance to come to church, friends, this isn't the only respite of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, in your life. That this miraculous moment is really more validation of everything else, which means it's validation as you walk out of here this afternoon. And you walk with your life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And when things are hard, the resurrection promise still holds. It may mean that this day might not be so dramatic as maybe we might usually expect it to be because honestly that... Hey, Jesus is with us all the time. Hooray! Maybe it's not as dramatic or as exciting. 
But I'd like to think that means that if this day is a little less dramatic, that maybe all of the other emotions and feelings and experiences and human being that we are does have more life to it. That the life of faith is not necessarily one or two big exciting days that we fill the tank, but a steady walk throughout all of our life that we live together in community whether we can gather together or not. And that, dear friends, a more simple resurrection life sounds a whole lot like what Jesus said at the table as he's with his disciples and he says, I leave you with this commandment. Love one another the way I have loved you. Friends, this resurrection miracle is indeed that. But it is validation for everything else. And so let us live as a people who can believe that this God, this Jesus, is with us in all of our moments. Thanks be to God.